What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Sonny McFly. I'm back again with another bang of an episode. On today's episode of Sonny Talk, I'm here with Paulette. Hi, Paulette. What's up? What's up? So before we start, could you, um, could you let the audience know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Paulette Arado. I host a podcast called La Vida Mas Chevere, which is to help all of us who grew up in the Latino culture overcome some of the BS that, you know, is in there. Okay, so we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, so tell me more about you. So where are you from? Uh, you don't got to say how old you are. As of <laughs> lately, I've been, uh, that's kind of been a little weird. I've, held, I've had some, um, some people, you know, I've had like the last few interviews, it was some, some older people. Or, I, I, I just found it. What's the point of asking that at that yeah, point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. I am 45 years old and I have no problem saying that. I think okay. one of the toxic parts of our culture is that we're ashamed to be a certain age. Hey, I've earned it. Yeah. And I'm, 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 I don't know that I look or act 45. I sure as hell feel like uh, an immature kid sometimes. So, you know, when am I going to grow up? I don't know. But I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I went to school on the East Coast out by you for a little while in Philadelphia. Uh, I know Philly and the Bronx aren't like next to each other, but, you know, as opposed to L.A. and New York. and then uh, have made a life here. But uh, fun fact, we are trying to move to Puerto Rico right now. So that is hopefully on the horizon for later this year. Uh, nice. So um, what drove you to, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. So <laughs> you were born and born and raised in LA. What's your, mm-hmm. you're Latina, so what's your Latino background? Or... My mom is from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And my dad is from Puerto Rico, but born in, well, he was born in Puerto Rico and raised in New York City in Hell's Kitchen. Nice, nice. My, uh, my girl's uh, father, he was also raised in Hell's Kitchen. Nice. Nice, yeah. So, um, wow. So um, that's pretty, I mean, here in New York, that's, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that's a weird mix, but <laughs> it's, 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 we don't see that mix often. Yeah, same here. <laughs> we usually see a uh, Puerto Rican and Dominican or yep. Mexican and like another type of, well, now that you say that, now I'm thinking about it. I actually have one of my friends that he's actually, uh, he, he's Mexican, Dominican, but uh, if you look at him, he just looks Mexican. All, him and all his siblings are Mexican, Dominican. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because my, um, his cousin, he always tells me that, yeah, um, my aunt, she got with her man, and like it's like she switched cultures. That she looked Mexican now, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's fun because, you know, LA, like I'm sure New York is, is a total melting pot, right? And so I've been. Uh, people speak to me in Farsi because they think I'm. Um, Persian, or they speak to me in Spanish because they think I'm one thing or the other, and it's great. It's great to be able to, to have access to all of those different kinds of cultures. So you, oh my bad, hello. Yeah. Yeah. So the Farsi thing, I always thought Farsi was like, uh, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was an African language. So is a Turkish language you said? 
I believe it's Persian. Persian, sorry. And uh, I also, people speak to me in Arabic, which I, I don't understand either language. Um, I also had friends in college who were Armenian, and that's always a fun language. My, my brother is much better at speaking it than I am because he also has a lot of Armenian friends. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wow, that's interesting. And I never, um, that's another thing we don't see too much over here. Not a lot of Armenians, but there is, is a lot of um Albanians, which I used mm. to get them confused. A <laughs> little different, little different. Yeah, Just yeah. like, you know, um, Mexicans and Argentinians are a little different. <laughs> Extremely, I would say. Yeah, yes, very much so. I had a, a friend growing up whose mom was from Argentina, but whose dad was from Mexico. And her mom spoke uh, Spanish in a way that I had never heard someone speak Spanish. They yeah. used the voz. Uh, a uh, lot instead of nosotros or it was vosotros. So yeah. that was, I was like, why do they say that? And my mom was like, oh, you know, it's an older way. It's it's an older type of Spanish. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that's how you explain it to little kids. Yeah, because I, I didn't know about vosotros and vos until I went to college. And then I still don't understand because it was like, <laughs> what am I using this? What's the proper yeah. context? Like, you had it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Armenians, see, I actually grew up in an area of L.A. called Burbank and mm -hmm. Burbank is right next door to Glendale. And Glendale is the biggest concentration of Armenians outside of Armenia. Um, yeah. So the diaspora is kind of centered around Armenian, Ar Armenia and Glendale. So that's why there's uh, so, so many Armenians in L.A. Yeah, I've seen that recently that the Armenians are kind of going to war with like with the not going to war, but they're like fighting against the, all that. Um, it's hard to explain what it is, but all these like new. Uh, I'm trying to pick my words wisely, but the like the LGBTQ. Uh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to say agenda, but like the stuff that they're trying to push onto the schools, and I saw like the Armenians are actually like pushing back against it. In well, Glendale, I don't think it was Armenian specifically. It did happen in Glendale at the. Um, the school district meeting, mm -hmm. um, because you can't you can't pigeonhole people. Didn't say like the entire Armenian community was against it. That that isn't what was happening. No, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but like, but it did happen in Glendale, which again has a, a very large population of Armenian people. So that might be where that got uh, those two got construed together. Yeah. So the reason I had. I automatically well the reason I was saying Armenians because I was I was listening to a podcast and that that was kind of their angle that they were going like oh the Armenians mm -hmm. aren't playing around they're over there at the school meeting like raising hell but yeah I, obviously yeah I don't want to assume that all Armenians are against this that type of stuff so yeah but um yeah. growing up so here in New York the typical shit is if you're Spanish well at least back in the day it'll be like oh you Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. Or, and then if, like you were saying, uh, so well, so over there in LA, how is it? Is it just automatically, hey, you Mexican? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Um, one time I was in third grade and there was a girl whose family had immigrated from somewhere in Eastern Europe. I don't know exactly where, but, you know, eight-year-olds are so innocent. And so she asked me, do you speak Mexican? And uh, I, also being a child and not knowing any better, I was like, it's called Spanish. 
um so there was a little bit of an educational moment there and um but yeah it's just assumed you are either mexican or guatemalan we have a you know guatemala is like the next country uh south of of mexico and 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 that's fine because i am mexican but it's also again a teachable moment because i'm like well i'm mexican on my mom's side and i'm puerto rican on my dad's And how how common are Puerto Ricans and, and Dominicans? Well, Puerto Ricans, I'll say. Honestly, I don't think I've ever met a Dominican here. No, um, I I know a few Puerto Ricans. There's actually um, a Puerto Rican restaurant and a Puerto Rican food truck. So right. they started as a food truck and then they got the restaurant in downtown LA. We are not related, so I know that <laughs> for sure. There are there are very. I mean, obviously, there's even fewer people who are both Mexican and Puerto Rican. I always joke that I never met someone I who was that mixed that I wasn't related to mm-hmm. until I started dating this one guy, and I was like, "Are we sure we're not related?" <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. But yeah, that's a that's a a rare mix, at least in that part of the world. And I'm yeah. pretty sure here, like in Queens and stuff, there's a whole bunch of Mexican Puerto Ricans. Yeah, so you- I mean, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, keep going. It's hold on one sec. I'm just waiting for the door to open. My husband's coming in. Okay, it's cool. I just had to do a whole bunch of stuff myself. <laughs> All right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of cool to be this mixture and it's kind of unique. And that's part of the reason we're, we're trying to travel through Latin America more and, and setting up a home base in Puerto Rico to, to just get back to the roots. Okay. And, and sorry, your husband is, is what's our, is he white or is he like Hispanic? White. Yeah, he is okay. white. He's, he's Midwestern white. So, you know, no. eats a lot of ranch. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> um, how uh well I want I'll get to the relationship later. So I wanted to go back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Take me back to you growing up, LA, well, Los Angeles. Um, how was it for you, your your experience growing up? I am a Valley girl. I don't know yeah, if you man. can pick that up in my accent, but I am definitely a Valley girl. You know, it's kind of like growing up in a bubble. I will say that now that I have years of of experience behind me um and then going to school on the east coast like broke that bubble right open um so i feel like i maybe was a little bit sheltered but you know when we ditched school we would go to like santa monica and hang out it's not like (laughs) we were getting up into anything we just wanted to go to the beach Mm -hmm. no yeah i get it it was just it was pretty laid back type of vibe so yeah what would you, what, the typical, what you would picture uh, uh, Los Angeles Valley growing up type of thing is? You know, you, the Valley is just like a bunch of suburbs, right? Okay. So if you think of suburbia and you think of like the typical fast food places and the typical um, chain restaurants and the typical movie theater. You know, I, I remember when they put them all up in the eighties and nineties and we got our first in and out. You don't have in and out out there, right? Not yet. Um, (laughs) in and out has great burgers and terrible fries. And that's where like all the kids got their first jobs. It's funny Uh, you say that the new, I feel like everybody from the East coast that goes to in and out, they usually say the opposite. They say that the burgers suck and the fries are good. Really? No, the burgers are, are, I mean, they're not like the greatest thing ever, 
but the fries are soggy. Like if there's a competition between, you know, let's say McDonald's fries and In-N-Out fries, McDonald's wins hands down. But you know what? If people like what they like. I'm not a super crispy fry guy. Mm. Well, if if you like them a little soggy, there you go. No, yeah, I like them a little soggy, but it needs a little crisp. Like, <laughs> like it ha- kind of has to be like baked potato in the middle, mm. crisp on the outside. If you get mm-hmm. my drift, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> you know who has good fries? Five Guys, because Five you get guys, that Cajun yeah. spice on them, and they give you so much fries. Yeah, like, you get the bang for your buck, literally. Bro. Like, yeah, you really. Five do. Guys is amazing all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get world burgers. But yeah, so uh, growing up, so did you? Did you actually work at In and Out? I did not. I okay. did not. But a lot of my friends did. You go through the drive-through, and it's like, oh yeah, Joe's on the Joe's on drive-through today. Um, <laughs> but you know what's nice about In and Out is, despite rising costs and inflations and stuff, like the the menu items have stayed the same, and they stayed about the same price. So um, you know, it was affordable. Nice. Well, I, I still have to go to Cali, so I'm going to get over there. I'm going to try out the In-N-Out, see what is all of that. <laughs> <clears throat> so you were talking about a little bit about, like, people didn't really know. What kind of, they, so they, they didn't really know what you were growing up because you said one girl actually, like, oh, you speak Mexican and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, people knew I was brown. People knew <laughs> I, I was a Spanish. I came from a Spanish-speaking household. <laughs> um I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood and went to a school that was predominantly white. I mean, I, I remember in like second, third, fourth, fifth grade, I was one of like three non-white kids. There was like one black kid and there was one like Asian kid. Um, and this was before a lot of the Armenian population moved into Burbank too. So, you know, but they still, you know, just looking at the color of people's skin, Armenian kids still looked white. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that that's, you know, neither here nor there. But if you were just looking around, there wasn't a lot of other kids who looked like me. Okay. Maybe, maybe like three or four. I remember when my friend moved, you know, I became very good friends with my um, this one kid, Montu, in third grade. He moved from India and he would stand up to speak whenever the teacher called on him. And we were all like, oh, that's different. We don't do that here. But he had a British accent and it was interesting. So even though it was a predominantly white area and white school district, um, there's still a little bit of diversity. And I, I, I mean, I was some of that diversity. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, that's, that's dope though. So, so would you say that growing up you had like, you saw all like at least a lot of different type of lifestyles. Like you saw the super rich and also like poor and stuff. Like you got a good mix of both growing up. I don't know. Just, I'm okay with but yeah I mean especially growing up in Burbank specifically you know that's where Disney Studios are so a lot of people's parents worked in the industry so everyone was industry adjacent there was a customer um we got to go and experience like like the back lot and Universal Studios is down the street too um but I think we were all solidly middle class, really. And I, my parents probably lower middle class. Um, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I think I like to joke that my older brother from my dad's first marriage, like he got horseback riding lessons and he got to go to Puerto Rico every summer. And my brother and I got to run through the sprinklers. <laughs> like, we didn't have a pool. We had friends with pools. But, you know, when you're a kid, you don't you don't know that necessarily. I do know that my mom's um my mom has a family who also came from Mexico and they didn't necessarily live in the same lifestyle we did. So we did see a difference there. And they lived in areas that were predominantly more Mexican and more Spanish speaking, like the whole neighborhood spoke Spanish. Not a lot of people spoke English. So we definitely were exposed to the diversity of that. You know, like my mom's family lived in East LA, yeah. which is, completely different than growing up in the valley yeah. um and my cousin one time when we were little she was like you talk like a white girl <laughs> like, and that stung I mean still I hear it in my head but I mean like yeah of course I did <laughs> I grew up in the damn valley like a white girl yeah I get it, yeah. it's just a different experience but it's right. cool that you kind of you're not you're not like jaded to it either you, you see the we're all just human. I didn't really see the two rich anyway. Everybody's kind of normal. Like like you were saying, the people that work in the industry. Because I'm assuming, that's why I asked that question. Because Burbank, I'm thinking, oh, all the people that work around Hollywood basically live over there. That's kind of always what I hear. Yeah, but yeah. The thing is, though, that, you know, there's very few people in the industry, and I'm making air quotes. You can't see me, but I'm like, oh. the industry, that, you know, are are rich you know, that are the money makers. And that's usually, you know, the people who are really high up. But there's a whole industry that's built on the back of people who are just middle class workers or gig workers because they do costumes or they do art design or they do illustration and stuff like that. And, you know, most of them are just regular people. Yeah. Nah, yeah, just regular people, day -day, like just working, the working class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's dope. That's dope. It's that's a pretty cool experience though, because to me, because you to you it kind of seems pretty normal. Like oh, like I have friends in there. Like my 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 girl scout teacher was worked in the industry. Like mm -hmm. yeah, we did a we went to Disney lots and all that. And to me, that's like amazing. Like wow, bro. Like I could even like that would have been a dream to go see stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see how that for for kids who didn't have that experience, that sounds like wow, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess when it's what you know, you don't know any different. Yeah. And um, so, how many were were there more people in the industry that you knew? Like, was more of your friends, like their parents in the industry and stuff like that? Were there any like child stars that you grew up with or anything like that? I remember there was a couple kids who were child actors who like had small parts. I don't know anybody who to become super well known or like I, I I don't even remember their names from school, so I wouldn't even know to look them up on IMDb. Uh -huh. But no, I mean, I most of us were also raised to you know go get stable careers like doctors and lawyers and things like that. Okay. So I want to take it back a little bit. How did your parents meet? <laughs> it's actually kind of a scandalous story because my uh, parents are very far apart in age. So my okay. dad was divorced and in his 30s. And my mother mm -hmm. was a teenager and had 
come across the border to try to find work to uh, send money back to her family because her parents had both died. Her mom died when she was very young, and then her father died when she was a teenager. And what part of Mexico is she from? She's from Guadalajara, Jalisco, so Mexico. Jalisco, yeah. Okay. And she moved up with a friend, and that friend had a friend who ran a bar. And so they went to the bar, and this is in the 70s when, you know, yeah, shit was crazy. <laughs> shit was a little crazy. It was a little different. And she met my dad. And they ended up hitting it off. And <laughs> she moved in with him a few weeks later. And she never went and got that job picking tomatoes, as she'll tell you. But wow. she did, did then raise three kids and send us off to college. So, you know. That's amazing. A little bit of success in a different way. <laughs> That's not a little bit of success. That's a great success. That's the American yeah. dream right there. Right, right. But I mean, it is, it's a, it's a little scandalous because of their age difference. Yeah. So my older brother is um, nine years younger than my mom. Nine years younger than your mom. Yeah. So there's kind of this intergenerational kind of shift on my dad's side because um, I have cousins who are older than my mom. Mm -hmm. But I mean, honestly, coming from the Caribbean is not that like, that Puerto Rican Dominican that's like kind of normal especially back then I'm not to say it's okay but uh as long as everything worked out the best like what what can we really say about that right? I will say this I never thought it was weird um it's only through the lens of like being 45 and looking at someone who's 19 years younger than me and being like what that's gross but um my yeah. parents are my parents. Yeah. Their story is their story. And they're still together. They've been yeah. together for 47 years. So. That's amazing. Yeah. And they have their own lives. And <laughs> they do their own thing. Um, but my mom still makes the best damn arroz con frijoles. Or I mean, arroz con habichuelas. Yeah, arroz con gandules. Than anyone else. And I've tried to make them and I burn them. So I, I got to perfect that once I move to Puerto Rico. It's, it's pretty light, bro. It's pretty light. <laughs> Cause that was hard for me too. Cause then I would want to do the fucking the bag bullshit that they do. Like, nah, fuck that. I'm gonna keep it somewhat American, but I'm gonna get the rice right. I'm gonna get it. You know right. what? I just want to make it in my instant pot. Can I just cheat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've I've done it in the instant pot. It's not that bad, honestly. Do you get the figao? See, that's Fig the problem. Pegado. Oh, del pegado, el concon. Because we call it concon, yeah, call it pegado. Oh, see, I'm learning something. Yeah. And it's now that I think about it, con con is probably just because of the the sound it makes when you crunch it. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Uh, you it does get it sometimes. Uh, yeah, not as much, not as crispy. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. rice is hard. <laughs> it's not in the instant pot. <laughs> it's when you got to make it in the right pot. I'm just like oh, I fucked that up. No. Uh, so what were we talking about? Oh, I was going to say, sorry, just to add on. And like mm -hmm. the whole thing with your dad being older, it's like, yeah, that happened or whatever. But it's not like, well, I don't know, but it's not like he kept doing that for the rest of his life. Like he left your mom after she was old enough and they went, got another younger girl. Right. You get it? Right. That's a different story. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so they met, she, she, well, and all that. So how long? So how many siblings do you have? So you have, your dad had a previous marriage. Right. So my older brother 
is um is 11 years older than me and then I have one little brother who's three years younger than me and so I'm kind of the firstborn on one side but really the middle child Mm -hmm. okay I got it I got it yeah similar Uh, not yeah no 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 I'm not the first Okay, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, I'm confused. So you're the first one on his on your mom's side. On my well, I'm my my mom's first. Yes. I guess you could say. Um, the cool thing oh. about growing up with two brothers, though, in the same house, because my older brother was still at home, um, is that we never made any division between like half siblings and full siblings. Like he's my brother. No, yeah. And and his kids are my niece and nephew. They're not my half niece and half nephew. <laughs> yeah, that's how, you know it's crazy to say that. I feel like. That's some American air shit, bro. Like, yeah. Like saying, say, "Oh, that's your half brother." Whenever someone says that, that just when I hear that, it gives me like a nasty ass taste in my mouth. Like mm-hmm. it's like, bro, what are you saying right now? Like it's just like I, it makes me look at you a little different. Like, how can you call your brother your half brother, your half sister, your half sister? You get it? It's just like, bro, that's your sister, and that's it. Like you shouldn't be making those distinction because then that's when um, alienation happens. And oh, you're different. No, oh, that's your mom. You got to shit like that. Yeah, I don't I don't subscribe to that either. Like yeah. my brothers are my brothers. We're tight. We're there for one another. Punto. Yeah. And your older brother, he's full Puerto Rican? Yeah, he is. Nice. See, that's sweet. Oh, that's that's where the horseback riding came. <laughs> Going to and shit. So you would never yeah. have you never been until now that you're going to go? Oh, no, no, no. Um, we went for a family reunion uh, in 2019. And um, it was a lot of fun. And it was actually so uh, I, I don't know when you're releasing this, but um, this week in July, my my aunt just died. My dad's um, oldest my sister. Thank you. Thank you. It's it was a long time coming. Um, I think we were kind of all just waiting. But um she was great. Like she, she was my godmother um, for I think baptism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you grow up semi-Catholic and you have godmothers for everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the last time all of the surviving siblings were together because they had a brother who had passed by that point yeah. was was that week, and I got a picture of all of them, all five oh. of them. And I knew, I knew when I took that picture, that was going to be the last time I was going to see them like this. And, um, and it was, and it was. So I, I have it. it everybody has a copy. Um, it is my oh, you, favorite you picture. It out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was yeah. a digital picture. So anybody could, could go print their own out. Um, I have prints too, but um, it's just, you know, I was a photographer for a really long time. And sometimes people are really stiff in front of the camera. I am too, you know, like this happens to everybody. Um, And it takes a while for people to relax. And when you're shooting five people outside in the humidity and everybody just wants to go back inside to the air conditioning, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta do things fast. And at first they were all really stiff. And I was like, then they start joking with one another the way that siblings do, even when they're grown adults. And I, I, I just kept shooting through all of that yeah. for a good, like, solid two minutes. I must have taken, like, 50 shots at least. Nice. And the one, the one where they're laughing and all looking forward. And there's just love in that picture. There is love in that picture. And I swear to God, it is the best picture I've ever taken. It may not be the most technically perfect, but it is the best picture I have ever taken. That's amazing. 
That's a very uh you made me when you said that you like you struck a nerve with me because it was like uh my brother also passed away and the last mm-hmm. like um the t- when he was able to meet my son and everything was at my father's funeral because he passed away recently too. Oh uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. That one was uh my with well, my dad it was kinda like a it was like you said, it was a real kind of waiting around kind of yeah. thing. But um when my brother passed, it was so uh, sudden. And then I just, when you, you say anything about the picture, I, it just made me think of like the pic, like those memories for at least just like, even at, at the funeral for my dad, it was just like, mm-hmm. we were all together. And then like, it, it was all the siblings together and then all the kids. And like you said, like some, not, I, I was thinking about printing that picture. I'm about to print it out soon. I'm just trying to get better ink for my camera. I mean, not for my camera, for my printer. But um, yeah, that that is those little moments that, that mm-hmm. you capture, and it's just like, wow, bro. That that's really what we. I, I found that that's what we take with us. Mhm. Mhm. Oh, sorry, my bad. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I I was gonna go into a deeper. Well, I was like, no, it's not bad. <laughs> what you were saying, um, um. So on my podcast, because usually I'm interviewing people without children, so, you know, it's for child-free Latinas, um, we talk a lot about legacy. And I've always felt like, you know, because the one, so it's called a bingo when you ask a child-free person the thing that everybody asks them, or you make comments like, oh, you'll regret it when you're older. Like that's called a bingo because they happen so often we could play a bingo game with comments like that. Yeah, those are just like the, the... I forgot the term is, but it's like the common phrases that they're going to say right, to you. Right, right, right. So one of the ones that I talk about with my my guests is the concept of legacy. Because, some, you know, some people are like, oh, what, well, then what's going to be your legacy? And the day after my aunt died, my husband and I went out for coffee in the morning. And we were talking about how she made me feel as a child, you know, because we, I only really spent time with her up until I was about 10 because then they moved to Florida and she spent the rest of her life there. Um, she and my uncle, even though her kids live here. So my cousins are all here. Um, and, um, we were talking about, you know, those memories and I was like, you know, this is, this is the legacy. This is yeah. the legacy she's leaving behind. It's, and this is the legacy I want to leave behind. I want to be in the memories and I want to have left a good impression on the people who matter to me. You know, forget about having progeny or having a building named after you. For me, and as I'm experiencing it through this grief, it's that she made me feel special and she made me feel like I mattered. Mm. And mm-hmm. that is not something you can put a price on. That's not something you can bottle up and sell. Um, it's just something personal. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both a little in our feelings. I'm sorry. No, yeah. Uh, it's been, I, I, honestly, the last few parts I've recorded have been very tough. There's a lot of... Um, Topics that just stretch, like hit certain nerves, and it's like, oh man, I don't even, yeah. like it has me tripping up on my words and shit. It's like, oh man. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so you, uh, let's go back a little bit. So, growing up school, what did you, you, you went to college? 
Where did he go? Philadelphia or just yeah, in Pennsylvania yeah. somewhere? Yeah, I went to the University of um, Pennsylvania in Philly. Oh, nice. Went to business school. It was, uh, it was a trip. Oh, that's where I actually started mingling with people who were Puerto Rican and not like my family. Yeah. So that was cool. I met like, honest to God, Puerto Ricans I wasn't related to. That was the first time ever. That's funny. So that was cool. Um, it was it was a completely different environment from Los Angeles, though, especially where I had grown up in the Valley again, you know, a kind of middle class upbringing. Uh, it was decidedly either from my experience of what I saw. And again, it was it was very little because I didn't I didn't have a car. I didn't have a way to get around other than, you know, the train system and my friends on on campus. You were either white and rich or black and poor. And I had never seen such distinct lines drawn around socioeconomics and race. Mm -hmm. um, because again, I was the token kid, right? <laughs> and it was odd. It was very jarring. Um, and when you're 18 and naive and don't have a lot of real world experience, I was like, what do I do with that and then you're in the middle of a campus with a bunch of like super rich people <laughs> and it was just like I, I i like you know i told you i grew up middle class and i don't know any billionaires or millionaires really and mm -hmm. it's like all of these kids came from money like a lot of money and i was poor like i was a scholarship kid and there was just a new language to learn it was weird yeah, so anyway. just getting, just getting used to mingling with those type of people was weird for me, right? Yeah, and I wasn't – it it didn't work out for me. So I left after about – um. I, so I I wanted to leave after my freshman year. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, and I came home and I told my parents, I don't want to do this. And my dad was pissed. I did a whole episode on this about dropping out of the Ivy League. And it, I, so I went back and it was – probably the stupidest thing I could have done because I fell into a deep depression mm. and I got a medical discharge from school. My mom had to like come oh, and like help me pick up my life and leave. Yeah. And so then I, I came back to California and went to community college, which was like at the time it felt like such an embarrassing drop in status because because we have these toxic bullshit ideals in our culture about, you know, what you're supposed to do and what direction you're supposed to go. And then after a while, I, I finally transferred to UCLA, um, which is a good school. It's a great school, right? They're known for more than just their baseball team and their basketball team and their football team, which isn't doing great these past few years. But um it's a good school, but it still always felt like a huge step down. Or yeah. I shouldn't say that. It didn't feel like that. I was kind of made to feel like that. And finally, once I broke away from that kind of influence and, and let go of that bullshit, I, you know, like I, UCLA was fun. And those are two good schools, though. Like, I, I feel like, if anything, the, the, let, the reason it will make you feel like that is because you could it was kind of like, hey, you were supposed to go over there to that school on the East Coast, finish that, be on your own type of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, was it that? Like, they were pressuring you like that? It was like... There's just only so many good business schools. And I gave up the opportunity mm. to be in that really good business school is really the problem. <laughs> okay. Yes. And yeah. it took a lot of work. 
after to like get over the shame of that. Well, what were you studying at the University of Pennsylvania? I was a marketing major. Mm. And what did you end up studying at UCLA? <laughs> I have a degree in history. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, mm -hmm. so I see what I mean. It does because there's nothing wrong with that. No. And I got it, a good job out of college. I did well for myself. Um, it, you know, uh, what a history degree forces you or teaches you to do um, is write compelling arguments mm -hmm. and um, write well. And those are valuable skills out in the real world mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, write well, communicate well. And that's why a lot of people who end up in law school have degrees in history because of the argumentative nature of the programs. Not argumentative, but um, having a point of view and being able to defend it is super important. Mm, okay. Wow. I mean, but you know what? I feel like you, it, everything works out how it's supposed to work out. That that business, uh, pers like business career pursuit, that wasn't your thing, man. Because look, yep. look what you're doing now. It's, it has nothing to do with business. History, exactly. play, history plays into it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is what it is. And it also, you know, being in my 40s now and having some perspective on it, everything felt like it was such a big deal at the time. Like the college I went to was such a big deal. The, the career path I took immediately after college was such a big deal. And looking back, no, they weren't. No. You know, I, I, I got a good education anyway. I got a good job anyway. I never actually used the history degree I had. Like, I didn't work in a field that was directly related to history. I ended up working in <laughs> event planning. Like, that was my career for 13 years. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and, but again having to deal with people with strong personalities and juggling different priorities because I can communicate well, I was able to, to do that job well. Yeah. And it, it's also good that, um, cause sorry, my bad. Basically what I'm trying to say is that you ended up doing what you love. And at the end of the day is like all these, like the, re the reason, like, like, I don't know if I'm assuming, but, like, the reason that you went through it and all that, that was, like, everybody else's expectations pushed upon you. And at the end of the day, it worked out. You did what you wanted. And, hey, man, it is what it is at the end of the day. And yeah, that mm -hmm. school was great. The only thing that you could probably say, like, maybe you took an opportunity for somebody else. But at the end of the day, it was, like, that was still part of your journey. I didn't take an opportunity from anyone else because people transfer in and out of schools all the time. No, yeah, not no, not saying like that. But I'm saying like because you said you had a a scholarship or whatever, like they accepted it. Because like, oh no, 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 no. I actually I should rephrase that. I didn't have scholarships. I had financial aid, which I am okay. still paying for. <laughs> Sorry, okay. yeah, not a scholarship kid. A financial aid baby. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh, so I mean, it is what it is, then, bro. At the end of the day, you still got to pay for it. Sorry about that. My my Apple Watch just wanted to talk to you. <laughs> that happened to me last time and I was on the laptop and I thought because I was doing somebody else's interview and I'm like mm -hmm. wait hold on what's this on the side <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so uh you worked in event plan how was that oh my god I hated it 
Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing? Were you like uh, at a venue or something? No, I was always okay. So I started my job at Mattel. You know, Barbie's coming out next weekend, so that's kind that of that Mattel. Thing. That Mattel. Wow, I still have all my Barbies. I still have all my Barbies. If you did not have your cubicle decorated with toys from the brand, people made sure they no, they like brought them to you. There's always a closet somewhere that had extra toys for everyone. You left them in their boxes. So I still have all my toys from those days. Um, so it was internal event planning. So any kind of like if a department needed to have a meeting for you know, visiting customers, we would take care of that. There was also annual events. So there's this huge event in New York called Toy Fair. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with it. So no, we would. I'm not. When did it happen? It happens in February. At least yeah. it used to. I don't know post-COVID how things are happening, but it's at the International Toy Fair. So all of the toy vendors across the world and all of the people who buy for stores you know like the the toys yeah. r us's and, yeah. and all of those vendors get together and they show off the products and and people make their sales like that's that's when that money starts changing hands so um so we would have smaller events like that on site so they were called line reviews where like here's the next season's worth of toys that we're thinking of making and the customers would decide whether or not those should actually be made and whether or not they were going to buy them so things like that and then after I did that for a little while, I went to the nonprofit sector and started working with lawyers and handling their educational credits. So uh, creating events around um, them receiving education because lawyers and doctors and most fields like that require a certain number of education hours per year. So mm -hmm. I worked for a bar association who was in charge of making sure that happened. And then from there, I did the same thing for HR companies or HR people, people in HR. And California is one of the biggest states for HR. I don't know why. So our company hosted the annual California HR conference. So that was their big marquee event, kind of like their toy fair. And uh, then I started working with uh, shopping malls, of all things. <laughs> so <laughs> I was doing events. And the thing in the nonprofit sector is you're working with volunteers. And this is, again, when communication skills are super important because volunteers are giving their time and sometimes their own money to make events like this happen. And they don't like being told no. So I this is when like the circle of influence of people who I was able to like get access to because they're, we're talking shopping malls, not stores, but like huge multi-million dollar complexes. So people who are in charge of moving that kind of money around do not like to be told no. And when you are an underpaid, you know, like <laughs> cog in the wheel for a nonprofit and you've got to enforce rules. Wow, life gets really interesting and really stressful. Yeah, because that those are kind of just jobs, but also like the not easy, but it's easy in the fact that you're not physically doing anything, but you you have to dictate like, hey, um, you have to be on top of people and shit. And it's just like you can fire them and shit like that. It's just like a lot of power involved, and it's just like, oh man. Yeah. So, I um the stress was so bad. So like. I had to travel a lot because my entire my sector of the country was the West Coast. So I had mm. California, I had Hawaii, I had all the way out to, um, excuse me, Colorado. So Colorado, Utah, 
Washington, Oregon, those were my like go-to destinations. And of course I had a lot happening here in California, in Southern California and in Northern California. And so, but our company was global. So we, I would have to, it was based in New York, but it was global. So I would have to fly to New York twice a year. We would have this annual meeting somewhere else in the country. And the weekend before I got married in 2016, that meeting was in Chicago. So I had to be in Chicago for five days um, before my wedding. And I did not get home until Wednesday. (laughs) And so I had Thursday and then Friday we had the rehearsal dinner for our wedding. And I live in Los Angeles, but the wedding was in San Diego. So, you know, a little bit of a commute for us too. And so, you know, the stress of that kind of travel just the travel alone, not to mention the like having to work with people who's have very strong personalities as well and are volunteers. So they can just be like, well, fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore and leave you in a lurch. Um, it, it really started to take its toll. So um, shortly after I got married, I actually got really sick. My body oh, started breaking down and I couldn't I couldn't really do my job anymore. My husband begged me to quit. And this was another life lesson I learned. Um I was like, well, I can't depend on you to, to like take care of us by yourself. Um, I'm an independent woman and I've, I've, I've got to contribute. And he was yeah. like, you are too sick to do this right now. So let me help you. And when you find a partner who is willing to, when you find a partner who treats you like an equal, yeah. And in times of need is willing to take on more so that you can heal and make the sacrifices. I mean, I, I found my person, you know, my mm-hmm. husband has, has demonstrated beautifully how much of a team and how united we are um, in, in this time that, you know, until, you know, I, I did not get better until it, it's it's an ongoing process, let's say. But yeah. like, I started healing, and then I got sick again in the middle of COVID, and it was worse. And but he was there. He was like, "I'm gonna take care of you." Mm-hmm. So it's been an interesting ten year journey with that man. But um, so yeah, so I left um, I left event planning in 2017, and then a friend calls me up in the summer of 2018, and she's like. Hey, uh, can I bring you in on a contract? I've got this event in Canada that's 10 days long. And I was like, oh, well, sure. That sounds like fun. <laughs> it's It was a short amount of time. I wasn't going to be the lead on it. She just needed help. Um, and it was an area of Canada I hadn't been to before. So mm-hmm. I took that on. And then after I was done with that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm done, done. I don't want to ever do this again. Damn. So that was the last time you worked on event planning. So what did you do after that? Uh, I became a blogger. Not very good at one. Um, no. No, I, just... <laughs> I was Why would you say that? a blogger. So, um, and then I became a podcaster. So here we are. Nice. Wait, but so hold on. My timeline is a little. When did you get married then? Because you were I got still... married in, in 2016. Oh, I 2016. met him in 2013. Okay, okay, so we've okay. been together 10 years, but we've been married for seven. Okay, okay, nice. All right, but so can you take me back to how was it working for Mattel? Mattel is a lot of fun. Mattel as a company has a lot of problems, but one thing that they always um, put front and center was was 
the child's experience. Mm -hmm. And as an extension of that, and this is going to sound funny coming from somebody who doesn't want kids, um, you know, like they had really, I guess at the time you could even call them progressive policies where they closed, you only worked a half day on Friday. They had on-site babysitting. They had an on-site gym. And this was all part of like your benefits. I'm sure you had to pay for the child. You know, mm -hmm. there was probably a little bit you had to pay for that. But um, we also closed between Christmas and New Year's as a company. Like you you didn't have to use PTA to, PTO to take that time off. I just and also I don't remember having to pay for my insurance. Mm. I, maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I just I remember the policies being really like the employees were well taken care of. And this is this is way early 2000s. I'm sure the company has changed drastically. But yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Like it was fun to go to work. And it was there were stresses. There were definitely stresses like any job. But um, the job was enjoyable. And I worked with a really good team of women who taught me everything I knew. Nice. So, what who are the, what are the big sellers over there? Well, at that time, it was just Barbie. It was the it main. It was Barbie, Matchbox, Hot Wheels. Oh, so Matchbox and Hot Wheels are owned by. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Polly Pocket, I believe, was another. Polly Pocket. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long, long time. <laughs> that that didn't make that didn't make it, man. I don't. I'm not familiar with that at all. <laughs> but, that's funny though. So, what were some? What, can you can you spill any? What were some cool like company secrets at that time or what? Oh God, I wasn't entitled to any to hear any. You know, I was such a low person on the totem pole that I didn't get any kind of insider info. But I'll tell you this: um, the Kings and the Lakers practiced right next door, mm -hmm. and um, back then it was called the Staples Center and and the Clippers. Yeah. The Kings and, and the Lakers all share that arena. And whenever one of the higher ups couldn't use, like Mattel had a box. So whenever tickets were available, sometimes you would get to go to a free concert or you'd get to go to a free hockey game. Or, nice. So those were kind of nice perks. Nice. That's dope. Yeah. yeah. For uh, some type of company like that that's that's pretty good though yeah, yeah it's a good environment i i i'm sure my experience isn't everybody's experience but i feel like i worked with with a good team a good set of people um who were collaborative as opposed to competitive yeah and it seems like it was very like uh family oriented was it still like a family-owned company at that time no, 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 no. The handlers were out of it by then. They, oh, here's here's a funny story. And this is all common knowledge. This is out there. Yeah. Um, the So Elliot and his wife, uh, God, what was her name? I cannot for the life of me remember. So the original creators of Mattel um, started by making like doll furniture. Mm -hmm. And then they moved into making dolls. And then the reason they were no longer in charge of the company is because they'd been cooking the books and they got audited. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they were removed as heads of the company. But they were still, um, I mean, by the time I was there, she had already passed and he was in his 90s. I think I actually, it was his 90th birthday that I got to help throw the celebration for. Nice, that's um, cool. So, you know, they were they were well past time when they would have had input anymore. But um, it was, they were beloved figures by that point. 
Yeah, that's nice though that they instill those at least those uh, for sure those values that they were speaking about was all from them. Yeah. Yeah. I know the one cool thing I saw recently was uh that apparently they got Barbie from some um it was like a a sex doll or some shit like that. <laughs> I have no idea about that. I'll yeah. tell you this though. So this was very interesting, and this is, was the first time that I recognized how deep colorism is like culturally approved. Mm. Um, we were taking so there's a design building that's separate from Mattel's corporate building, yeah. and it's like a you know a block away basically. But we're taking I was taking a tour during through the design center, and the designers were telling us, or whoever was leading the tour was telling us that. You know, Barbie is a certain color, right? You know, she yeah. has a certain skin color here in the U.S. In Latin America, they actually have to make her lighter. Lighter? Otherwise, she, otherwise she doesn't sell. Again, wow. early 2000s. And I wow. Was, now I that was you say that, I, I've I seen the goals. Wow. They are I was appalled that, like, that people who are brown, we are brown people, uh, won't buy dolls that look like them. Well, that was really interesting. And yeah. it, it, obviously there's people of all shades all over Latin America, but that was the first time I was confronted by it like so starkly. And I was like, hot damn. No, that shit is big in, in, in the culture. Yeah. yeah again, another toxic part of the culture that that's why my podcast exists. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you get into those type of topics sometimes? Well, uh, all the time. <laughs> but is it, oh, so damn, I, I would, I would love, oh, I'm going to listen to it. Yeah, but uh, uh, you said that you so you only get people that are Latina that are that don't have kids on the show. No, no, I've interviewed my mom. She has kids. <laughs> yeah, nice. um, I've I've interviewed uh, a couple of women who don't uh, who do have children. I've interviewed a few people who aren't even Latinos, but uh, I always try to align what it is they're going to discuss or what we're going to discuss in that episode with something that relates to our culture. So the specific episode where I had a friend who um, is white, but she is child-free, we talked about shame because she is a coach that helps people overcome shame. And shame can take a lot of different um, avenues into our lives. You know, it, it comes from different places. It can look different for different people. Um, and so she treats it in such a way that I thought was really important for people to hear because I feel like shame in Latinidad is is weaponized. Yeah. Like we we use shame and guilt a lot in our culture. And I'm not saying that like white culture doesn't do this too. Yes, they do. But um, I, I only know what my experience as a Latina in this world is like, right? So that's the lens I speak from. Yeah. Now that's that's super dope though that you're tackling those topics, man. It's great to to hear people talking about it. Cause on on, on my podcast, oh, me and my boy would talk about those topics here and there. Mm-hmm. Cause he's a uh, he's not white passing, but he's a lighter skin, and I'm I'm dark. So um, and we're both uh, Hispanic. So it 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 gets different because uh, we both like have similar experiences, but. Um, Obviously, like, I also had that added, like, I'm black and, like, growing up, 
like I, I talked about this a million times right now, but um, you know, like go walking around the store and shit, and then mm. like I hear them saying, "Oh, cuidado con el morenito," eh? mm-hmm. and then and then like I remember talking to my mom about that, like, "Hey, mom, like why are they calling me black or something like that?" You get it? And then she she had to have that talk with me, saying, like, "Hey, some people, they 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 act differently." Um, they basically treat people differently because of their skin color and all that, and then. After she told me that, this is something new that I never really spoke about. I remember one time in DR, uh, it was just like a, a late vac- It was a vacation, right? And um, it was late night. It was I was watching the TV, and the programming. I think they had like some KKK shit on. Like, I for- not like they had it on, but it was a, a movie, and there was a KKK person on it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I just remember being like in so much fear as a child. Like, oh shit! Like, this is what my mom was talking about. Yeah, and then like, oh man, that shit was like, it really hit me. And then like growing up, like it kind of, I kind of grew some resentment towards people, like, uh, not not necessarily, but then like in high school, like I didn't chill with like the, with the Hispanic crews or Hispanic people in the school. I I like stick to like the black people, and then it was Mm -hmm. like, and then I was always kind of like too Spanish for the blacks, and then too Mm -hmm. black for the Spanish. Same. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad that we draw these division across our own selves, you know, another thing that I like to talk about because um, all it does is divide us as opposed to like bring us together. And the thing with American culture is so individualistic, especially compared with Latino culture across the board, Um, because we're much more family oriented and uh, it's a collaborative spirit as opposed to a competitive spirit, which is definitely American. And it's hard bridging those two. And when you're, when you're both like you and I both are, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's this like weird push and pull within us. And then it's like, well, who accepts me more? And I'm, I'm definitely lighter skinned than both my brothers. I'm very light skinned. And I was asking my brother one time, I was like, have you ever been pulled over? Um, you know, do you feel like you've ever been targeted by the police? And he's like, yeah. oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really? And, you know, my little brother is a little darker than me. And he's he's a big dude. Like, we, he, it is hard to tell what, what he is. Yeah. Like, what his nationality I, is, what his ethnic background is. Yes. Uh, and. No, I was going to say, you do, you kind of look like you could be a black lady, too, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I've got super kinky hair some in some spots of my head. And I say, like, this is my this is my African hair back here. Like, this yeah. is where my African ancestors came from. Like, you have Taino blood, which uh, maybe, but, you know, I'm a no, mixture yeah. of all of the, the the people who came to these places. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I mean, I don't like that my brother is targeted by cops who've got nothing better to do than to chase some dude in a Mustang um, or whatever it was he was driving at the time. And because he's a good dude, you know, it's like his skin color isn't telling you anything. Yeah. It's like my skin color isn't telling you anything about what's inside and and the things that matter. But, you know, this is not how the world sees us. But it's cool that um, you're also into history because I found like I'm I'm super into history too. That was yeah. always my favorite subject. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, like I, I kind of like um, I only have an associate's degree, but um, I took a lot of like 
African American studies. Like I took um like just like a whole bunch of like a, I had took like a Dominican course. I took Ooh, a, nice. uh like the influence of like the America and the Caribbean. I took a whole bunch of other Caribbean classes though too, like African American studies. Mm-hmm. But um I've always found like the division is crazy. I don't want to even sound conspiratorial, but I feel like it's always kind of engineered by like the higher ups, like um, mm-hmm. and they play on those tropes. Like me and my boy, we always talk about like how um, just how um, you know. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like Trujillo and all that, but like he ha- he had like a whole he went on a whole campaign and like. I get basically like slaughtering Haitians and all that in mm. DR, right? And then that that started creating the whole anti-black sentiment in DR, but it's really anti-Haitian. But then it's like, bro, you're all the same people. Because even mm. through Hijo himself was of Haitian descent. Like his grandmother was actually Haitian. That shit like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, look back at World War II. Hitler had Jewish blood. Yeah. I was gonna say that yeah, it's all it's all related. Bro. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's fucked up. It's fucked up that we allow ourselves to hate these parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. When why, you know? Yeah. And it, when you said the when we were talking about the doll earlier, I, mm-hmm. I, there was a viral video and like like basically on the East Coast basically, and there was like a Dominican grandma. And she looked Dominican, but it was like a Dominican grandma. She was like she was dark skin herself. And her her daughter her granddaughter was playing with like a like a black doll, but it was like a nice doll. It was like a nice um, Barbie or whatever it was. You get it? Mm-hmm. But it was a black doll. And the grandma was like, "No, no, no!" And the mom was basically recording her like, "Ma, like stop, don't do that. Like, why are you doing that?" And then like the grandmother would go out her way, and she got like this nasty looking like dingy ass white doll. Not like not even to say it like that, but it was like a it wasn't even a regular doll. You get it? It was like a plush. Look like a raggedy Ann mm-hmm. from from like 1980 or some shit. <laughs> and it was like, you rather her play with this old ass shit than that new doll, bro. And it's like, we're just programmed like that. And it's like, yeah. they, they, I remember like growing up, like my mom wasn't like that, but I would hear other people like, oh, you got to whiten up the blur line and shit. And then like, and then like, but that comes from when Trujillo was in charge. He did that mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he went out, he got the... There's a whole we could get deep into the history, but um <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard if you're familiar with Porfirio Rubirosa. Basically who 007 was based off of. He was like even cool with the writer and all that. But he was like a big playboy back in those days. He worked for Trujillo and Trujillo basically sent him to Europe to to give out visas to the Jewish people during uh, like World World War Two, I believe, or World War One, whatever it was. Whenever the Nazi thing was going on, mm-hmm. World War Two. Yeah, World War Two. Sorry. And um, so when he went over there, he he, he gave out the visas because Trujillo wanted to whiten up the yard. But then here's the kicker: he also get that's how he gained his fortune because he sold the visas to the Jewish people. This <laughs> <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> Word. You know, they say power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The, you know, access to power does shit to people. Yeah. And that's why so many things in our world are so fucked up because people just are trying to amass more power. And the people close to power 
then get intoxicated by it themselves. And I'm not saying any of us are immune or any of us would act differently, but it's kind of like morals start going out the window when access becomes possible. And that's, that's scary. I feel like the thing that people that have all that power need to keep in mind always is like they have to have that sort, that sort, like that, that relatable bit, that keep that relatability factor in their mind. Like, wait, what if this was me in that position? Or, you get it? Like they always, they, mm-hmm. they can't just be up on their high horse the whole time. Like, yeah, those positions exist for a reason, but um, you you have to you, you have to see the human side to it too. It can't just right. be all business at the end of the day, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. Did you ever watch Succession? No, I haven't watched that. I've been meaning to watch it. Highly, highly recommend. There is a whole um, story arc that revolves around these crimes that were committed on their cruise lines. Yeah. Women being, you know, trafficked and people falling overboard. But they had an acronym that stood for no real people involved and in our no NRPI and um, it's people just like who didn't matter, who nobody wow. would miss. And that's fucked up. <laughs> wow. Everybody is someone's child. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky enough to, you know, have siblings and partners and, you know, like every, it's, it's, everyone, but matters. this is how corporate America really works. Mm-hmm. That like, you know, it's about numbers, not about people. Yeah. You know, it was big. I, um, like that, I, I was into uh, Dope Sick, I think it was. Dope Sick was really big on that. That was like a big eye opener to me. Like he was just like, sell, sell. And like, it was just like consumerism at its best. Like, damn, bro, I see it. Mm-hmm. I see it. It's there, bro. And I see like the, the, like, like after that, like I would just, anytime, like I've been had like my tinfoil hat on. So any commercial I see, I'm like, what are you selling to me right now? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. And what are the extra agendas that are packaged in with this sale also? My uh, my dad always said one of the, the like, when my dad is long and gone, I will always remember him saying, follow the money. Yeah. He, he has said that to me since I was a little, little kid. When when something smells, you know, weird, he's like, follow the money. Who's funding this? Who's making money off of Literally. this? Literally. That's and all you have to do. Exactly. Exactly. And it sucks though, because then, like, when you go to the regular people—not to say regular people—but when you go to people that don't think like that, and you tell them, like, "Hey, bro, this is only going on because X, Y, and Z," and here's the proof, it's like, "Bro, you're on some crazy shit." And it's like, "All right, bro, whatever. It's what it, it is. What it is. You don't have to believe it." Yeah, I mean, I had a, a guest on recently that asked the question: Would you rather live a comfortable lie, or would you rather live an uncomfortable truth? And let's face it. Most of us are comfortable in our lives. And when we're when something is exposed that makes us uncomfortable, that would make us have to change the way that we comfortably live, most of us aren't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Most people are not ready to, you know, stop using all of Nestle's products. You know, <laughs> like they're so ubiquitous. They're so available. Yeah. But we know that Nestle did bad shit. Like we know Nestle is a corrupt company. But they're they're everywhere. Like their products are everywhere. Well, ah oh man, don't even get me started. Having kids, that shit is horrible, bro. Like, oh, they, yeah. Because then you got to look at everything, and then it's like you get into arguments with your partner, and you're like, bro, like this shit is fucking corrupt. 
or this mm-hmm. shit is bad. And like, look at what they're using. And it's like, hey, this is just the easy shit to get. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it's out of necessity too, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have other options. Like this is the lesser of two evils right now because yeah. I got to feed my kid. Yeah, you like know? let's say you have to use formula, like bro. Those formula companies, like those. I remember, like every other couple of weeks, or like by the time we, my baby stopped using formula, I remember it being like, "Oh, uh, if you use this brand, there was a whole bunch of iron in it." Or like, "Hey, these products had like uh, traces of metal." And then it's like, "Bro, what the fuck is going on?" Like, and everything is there to scare you because it is like that, that they're scaring you so you could go get another product mm-hmm. or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you get it. Is it, and it always comes back to money. Mm-hmm. Are they gonna get your money out of you? Because mm-hmm. fear is fear is also the, the the driving sale for money. Oh yeah, fear is a huge motivator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, so what got you, so how did you get into the podcast? And what, and what blogging were you doing? What type of blogging? Were you doing? <laughs> Let's get so to blogging for us. Yeah, yeah. So you and I met on Reddit. And, uh, you know, my my screen name on Reddit is Petite Font. I don't, it's not my anonymous <laughs> Reddit account. Um, Petite Font was the name of my blog. And nice. it was a sewing blog and it became a little bit of a lifestyle blog. Like I have a coquito recipe that blows up every like f- November, December when people start searching for coquito. Nice. And, um, but mostly it was, I got into sewing right after I got married and started making my own clothes. And so there's a huge, really welcoming, at least there was at the time, um, welcoming community on Instagram around sewing and it was really easy to connect with people and learn. And even though it's a solitary thing that you do, like, you know, it's not like you just all show up at the coffee shop with your sewing machines and start sewing. (laughs) You know, it's not like you can take your like knitting with you or your book. Um, So, you know, you sew at home by yourself, but um, there's people all over the world that you could connect with that were doing the same thing and using similar patterns and you were learning to fit things through your own body. And I didn't really know how to monetize a blog like that. So I was learning that. And then the pandemic happened and blogging just got hard. Like I was making masks for mm. everybody and making masks made me feel like shit. I was so afraid of dying because mm when I got sick, like that was an autoimmune disorder that I developed. And I didn't know what my susceptibility to catching COVID and what, you know, how that was going to react for me. So we were super isolated, my husband and I, and making masks made me cry. I I didn't want to think about like all I was doing was thinking about dying the entire time I was sewing all of these things. So I stopped for my own mental health after I made it for family, made it for my doctor's office. COVID was Um, so stressful. COVID was, COVID was rough. I still feel like there's two years of my life that just feel like one bad long dream Mm -hmm. because nothing really happened, but time passed. Like, and my niece and nephew were both graduating in those years from high school. So they didn't get their proms. They didn't get their graduations. They didn't – and went off to college and didn't get to live on campus because of all of this. So I know stuff happened. I know time marched on. But for me, my life just became one long, drawn-out day. Yeah. And it feels like those two years are so weird to think back on. And I still don't like to think back on them. But we got through them. 
my husband and I stronger, I think, than when we started because we had to adapt to this and, and just being isolated was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I kind of stopped blogging and there was so much going on, like the BLM, um, protests that we, you know, we tried to be as we couldn't be out, but we tried to be supportive in other ways. And I lost friends through that. Like there was a riot here, um, just down the street from our house and places were being set on fire right down the street from our house. And we were watching, we were watching it happen live from our balcony and we were watching the lack of response from the police Mm -hmm. and (laughs) who were watching it as well. Like I was watching it with my own eyes. And um, so that was, that was rough. Um, And so the fallout of all of that, it just like uh, sewing no longer held any joy. Blogging no longer held any joy, but Mm -hmm. I was still in this like, I was like, well, I have to do something with my time. I have to produce something. Um, I have to contribute to the household. And um, podcasting is a lot like blogging. It's just talking instead of writing. And finally, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to talk instead. This is easier. Um, And the skills are totally transferable. You need need to have good SEO and you need to, (laughs) you know, it's all the same thing. Not yet, definitely. Oh, uh, sorry. What, real quick on the just to touch on the t- COVID a little bit because I always ask it um, during the the riots and everything. Were there any businesses that went out of business, and if so, like they had to shut down and stuff at the time? What would you say the percentages of the business that couldn't come back? I don't even know that if it's was during COVID or just immediately after with the supply chain problems. But we had two really nice restaurants just across the street from where we live that didn't have to close down completely during lockdown. Cause here in California, it lasted a while. And then there was, you know, different um, levels of how much business one could do like in-person versus takeaway dining. Mm-hmm. And the supply chain issues, like we live right by the port, like, the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach, I can see them both from my window. Um, we could see the ships all lined up, like not being able to come into port because there wasn't enough people around to unload them and then put them on trucks, right? Um, but so most of the businesses around here survived just doing just on takeout. And I think that um, our favorite ones did anyway. But then post-COVID, these two restaurants have closed and we don't know why one one was definitely a problem with the business relationship but it wasn't just a restaurant it was also a distillery it was the first distillery in the city and the one next door was this great little restaurant but the rising costs were like beginning to become uh, like impossible like my husband and i went out for dinner on a tuesday night one night we each had an entree, we shared an appetizer and he got a beer and that bill was $90 Yeah, with tip, you know, like a $15, $20 tip. Cause we, you know, it's not the server's fault yeah. that we have a tipping culture and shit's so expensive. But I was like, so I think that's what led to them having to close because who can afford a hundred dollars a night on a Tuesday, like maybe a Saturday night for a special occasion. That's no big deal. But $100 a night just to have dinner that and 
And on a Tuesday, there was only three other tables open or like with people in that. It was a ghost town. So um, it wasn't during COVID, but it was post-COVID that a lot of places just have not been able to to sustain themselves as, as costs just continue to rise. Yeah, man. Everything's going to shit pretty much. It sucks. It really sucks. I remember at the beginning of lockdown that we would get like this cheap, well, no, I wouldn't say cheap, an inexpensive uh, ribeye from Trader Joe's was like $9.99 a pound. And we would get two and that would, we could split one for a meal. And so that got, we got two meals out of two ribeyes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the middle of lockdown, those prices shot up to like $13, $15 for the same cut of meat, if not smaller, slightly smaller. Yeah. But the meat doesn't look as good. It's not so as cons- good. No. And so consequently, we do not – and we used to do this every Friday. Like that was our Friday night. We would grill up a steak, have a nice couple vegetables with it, and like this was our way of staying sane, of having something to look forward to during lockdown. You can't go out, but we can have a nice feast at home. And that shit got expensive real fast. The meat was no longer good. Like it didn't taste good. We and weren't doing always- anything different. Yeah. But we it didn't taste good. So we don't have steak on Fridays anymore. Not as not like we used to. Maybe it's like once a month, but we go to like now we go to a butcher and it's 25 bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, we're not doing that every week. Yeah, but at least with the butcher, you're gonna get that quality meat. Yeah, it's grass fed and it's you know, humanely raised and mm-hmm. it tastes really good. <laughs> That's the How thing, about like, the vegetables? The vegetables are going bad too. My thing I've noticed the yeah. the oranges. The oranges just go bad so fast now, bro. For us, it's tomatoes and peaches, or not peaches, nectarines. Tomatoes I, always go bad quick. Tomatoes go bad quick. Yeah, like I don't up. even buy them. I don't even buy them no more. Sometimes I'll buy two, like just if I'm gonna like I'll just buy it, like for the meal, like whatever I'm cooking, I'm I'll go out. And buy it at, for the moment because at this point, it's like you can't save nothing, bro. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And yeah, that's like that's not convenient to go shopping every third day. Yeah, where that shit sucks. Yeah, man, life's life is hidden. I mean, it is what it is. Though at the end of the day, you gotta work. And what we gotta eat still. So yeah, so they've got us by the balls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what are you gonna do? But. So um okay, so the yeah, so I was gonna say I had a, like a when you were talking about the knitting thing, mm-hmm. is are there like knitting conventions? And if not, you have to create one. I'm saying it. <laughs> no, man, I'm out of that. No, you don't want to get back in the game. I do not want to get back in the game. That is a different chapter that is now closed. But uh yes, there are. Nice. <laughs> they are all over the country, all kinds of stuff like that. Okay. So and also, I wanted to, to to expand more on the event planning. Were you mm-hmm. just in charge of like every company that you were for? You were just like, hey, uh, we gotta do. We have this event in in April. You gotta. You're in charge of everything concerning that event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, for example, uh, when I was doing the HR the HR conference in California. It is the biggest HR conference in California mm-hmm. because it's, it's for everyone in the state and it would take place over three days in August. And I had 80 speakers I had to juggle. We had a trade show. There was food and beverage to manage for every day. There was events after 
uh, you know, like we would go, it, it took place in Anaheim, which is right by Disneyland. So I would have like an event at the House Blues after we shut down at the convention center. You have to deal with the union that is responsible for for the, the people who come in and build the trade show, who lay down the carpets, who do the electricity. You've got to manage that through your contact at the convention center. You know, stuff is being trucked in. Vendors are coming in to set up their booths. Uh, 80 people to manage three days worth of a schedule to make sure everybody's in the right room. Signage. Uh, coffee. Got to make sure there's always coffee. <laughs> Got to make sure the AV in every single room is set up. You know, we had like eight sessions going at a time. That's eight rooms worth of audiovisual problems that can exist. Did the speaker show up with their PowerPoint? Is their computer a Mac and does it have the right dongle to, to go into the AC, the AV that's in there so that they can show their screen, all kinds of stuff. And then you, you know, is the room too hot? Is the room too cold? I got the flu in the middle of one of these shows one year because I did that for what, four years, four years. Um, and just like, <laughs> I, I always had volunteer staff, you know, you could volunteer and get a, 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 a day free. Um, and I just, I had to rely on my volunteers. This is why being organized was so important. Like every single thing that I was in charge of was in a book. It's called the event Bible and good event planners always have one for every single show. Mm. And so they need to ask you questions like, where's the food? What are we eating for lunch today? It is all in the Bible. Yeah. It's all color coded by day, by, you know, whatever level of the convention center you're on. So I could just be sick. I was still, you know, stressed. I was still carrying a radio because at that particular show, we were on three levels of the convention center. Um, but what's funny is the very first time my, at the time, boyfriend, he's now my husband, um, we worked very close to each other. So I was like, well, why don't you come down for the weekend for load in and hang out? And our first day, he was still going to be there because I think we opened on a Sunday. And we were staying at the Marriott Hotel next door. And, um, you know, we had a huge sign up on in front of the convention center that, a you know, a cherry picker had to come and put up. And he goes down to the little meeting rooms that are at the hotel. And he's like, hey, where are you? And I'm like, at the convention center. He's like, where at the convention center? I'm like, go outside and look for the huge sign. Walk through those doors. And he's like, oh, wow, this is so much bigger than I thought. And I was like, do you think I have been stressed out for a tiny little show inside of a hotel? <laughs> <laughs> no, baby, this is the premier show for this sector of the industry this summer. So, okay, so hold on, because that's why I was a little confused. So do you get paid? So your, your whole... Like, basically, are you paid, like, a salary for this? Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, you have to prepare for this for eight months or you have mm -hmm. a whole year, basically, to prepare because it's like you have either one or two a year and that's all we you do. We had one huge one every year. That was the huge premiere event. So that was the annual conference. Mm -hmm. We would also have smaller monthly events. And twice a year, we would have a legal update. So in January and in July is when laws change uh, in California. So we would, um, we would host conferences in multiple cities. So like over the course of a week or two, we would have three to five of these events in January and July. So I would travel to each of these places to make sure that that event was set up because we're talking about like 10 sessions a day two keynote speakers a breakfast a lunch and yeah. then 
after party um, at each of those places. So those were the big major ones, the the semi, the January and July legal events, the, the big HR conference. And this is true of a lot of the, th that was true of like my other jobs too, yeah. the, you know, working with the shopping malls and working with the lawyers, same kind of thing. But there was also- There was always work. There was always work though. Yeah. So yeah. You always worked with a team. Like I wasn't in charge of the trade show. I had a sales guy who was in charge of the trade show. So, so I could you were basically the operational manager? Else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my title there was programs manager. Okay, programs manager. Nice. Mm. Nice. That's dope. So what what was the craziest thing that happened at a, uh, at a trade show or whatever <laughs> it was? <laughs> Okay, I did not see this with my own eyes, but I heard it from my boss's boss, and he is a trustworthy individual. He was the senior vice president um, of, our, of, of our department. Um, so I was part of the planning team of this massive trade show in Vegas. It's one of the biggest trade shows. And what company were you working at this time? I was working with um, an, an, it was a nonprofit um for shopping centers okay, and but it was a big company we ran like a corporate entity not like a nonprofit. yeah anyway so huge 10-day show in las vegas like we take over the entire convention center one year like one of our <coughs> customers brought in like the batmobile that was <coughs> in their booth and we're not talking about 10 by 10 booths are you okay no i am good i'm sorry I was okay. but... we're talking about like 100 feet by 100 foot booth you know, huge two-story structures. We had like fifteen. But they had the hotels. Batmobile from what? They movie? had they had one of the original Batmobiles on the floor. Nice. We're talking like I think the thing cost fifty million dollars to produce that whole show. Um, and one of the keynote speakers was Peyton Manning, you know, football nice. player. And it was right after he retired, and I was super excited. I really wanted to. Did you organize that? No, 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 no. I was part of a team of like 25 people who managed this show. Like I had a very small part of this, but I was able to like sneak away from whatever my job was that day to go listen to Peyton speak. So my boss's boss, this guy, old Irish dude, loved him to pieces. Like I loved going out for a beer with this guy whenever I was in New York. He yeah. was just such a like cool down to earth chill dude. Um, he tells us later that Peyton Manning is getting up to go do his thing. He's like, oh, wait, I got to take a piss. So he grabs an empty water bottle and goes into the corner of the room and takes a piss in the water bottle instead of just going to the bathroom around the corner. <laughs> oh, Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning took a now, look, I don't want to be sued. This is all allegedly. This is a secondhand story I heard from someone who was in the room. But um, <laughs> I would say that's the craziest story I ever heard. Wait, but while he was giving the speech, he just. No, 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 no. Before After. he went to go give a speech, he was in the green room. You know, we set up nice lounges for speakers to and nice bathrooms. And, I'm pretty sure and, and nice ba bathroom access for sure. But you know, he's in, in my box. So the guy was who was telling us the story. He's like, you know, he's just used to being in like the locker room, I guess. And you just turn around and piss in your water. <laughs> Another time we had. Um, we um, had uh, Magic Johnson was also a speaker at one of these things because he's invested nice. in um, in Starbucks and in Starbucks. And, you know, now he owns part of Dodger Stadium. And these are all potential shop. You know, th this is part of the shopping mall umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, 
retail real estate. And um, she, there, there is no story like that about Magic Johnson, but he was really <laughs> gracious <laughs> and allowed and like spent time. And, uh, you know, like we had a line of people who wanted to take pictures with him. So, and, and he stood there and smiled with every person for like an hour. And I was one of the last ones that got in. I was wearing three inch heels. On a good day, I am 5'3". In three-inch heels, I am 5'6". I barely made it up to this man's shoulder. <laughs> nice. He is so tall. That's really good. <clears throat> so, yeah. no, no, but no uh, funny, like, no loot, no looters. No, I mean, not looters. Um, what's it called? Like, uh, People breaking in? Break, breaking in or, like, uh, any shit like that? Nah, these were all business conferences. So, you know, there's there wasn't a lot of, like... You know, something that would happen at like a comic con or something more fun like that. Okay, nice. Wow, that's that's dope though. <clears throat> but I get it though. It seems pretty stressful, especially like that's all you have to do the whole year. It's not like you're going to work every day. I'm like, hey, I'm doing this today, and like this is what we're doing. And it's like, no, I have to plan this event that's coming mm-hmm. up in five months. Oh yeah, and- I always had at least like three events I was working at at my easier jobs and like 10. Damn. I mean, like it, it's like my wedding. I was still working on an event in January. I was like, I'm going to take three weeks off. So I will be gone for these three weeks. But the moment I got back, I had to jump right back into meetings about an event that was happening in January. And that was in October, you know, because wow. you have to get everything done before people start going away for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. That the industry is so how how much free time do you have working like in working like that? Yeah, you know, there's a reason that there was that that is usually a salary job. I mean, I would work twelve hour days leading up to shows like that. Um, how, for how long? How when would that be that period of time? Weeks, weeks. I mean, it's no wonder that my body finally just crapped out. Like I couldn't handle that consistent level of stress. And the way I got sick is I was away. I was in, I had to fly up to Oakland for a meeting and then I had to drive down to Monterey to have another meeting. My assistant was with me the the whole time. Thank God I wasn't alone. But I started feeling really, really sick after dinner one night and I thought I was just having an allergic reaction. So I drove myself to the ER and, um, you know, shit just spiraled from there. But, you know, I had to, I was supposed to be on a 9 a.m. flight home the next morning, but then my flight was delayed till one. And my husband's like, what's going on? When are you getting home? And I'm like, I don't know. Whenever Monterey decides to open up again, I think it was like heavy fog. So we couldn't even take off. Um, and the whole time, like I'm suffering, Yeah. <laughs> but I'm technically at work. And, you know, so sh- it's a rough life it takes i think a certain type of personality and there's people who do it as freelancers you know like they have their own jobs they're not in-house they have their Mm -hmm. own companies like i hired a wedding planner who has her own company for wedding planning and she is amazing she does great work and you know there she she does a certain number of events per month because she's one person I, i I think she also has other event planners that work for her and they can only do so many, but you know, wedding planning can take over a year. I think we hired her with 11 months to go for hours. So um, for what wedding planning, how does it work? Like, do you just pay her as you go or is like you pay her, Hey, we have $50,000 for a wedding. 
Yeah, we agreed to a budget, a flat rate for her. So we gave her a budget of what we wanted to spend and asked her if she was within it. And she, yeah, so it worked like that. Um, Like we were not going to pay her a premium on top of what our wedding budget was. Like this is how much money we have to spend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If we're going to pay you, what do we have left over is basically how that conversation went. Okay. Because then who she doesn't. Because I'm thinking that you still have to pay for everything else on your own, right? Or oh, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. But here's the nice thing about having a wedding planner, which I highly recommend everybody does. Um, even if it's just like a point person day of that's a family member. They make sure that like the DJ starts right on time, that a mm-hmm. certain song is played at the right time, that you get fed. You know, one of the things everybody warned me that was that you were going to forget to eat because you're so busy, like talking to everybody. Um, and they just keep things on schedule. Uh, so I, I'm a huge fan of having somebody else be in charge on the day of your wedding so you can just enjoy your wedding, enjoy the party um, yeah. without having to worry about like, oh, my God, we're supposed to take these pictures right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. <clears throat> no OK, I get that. Wow. That seems too stressful, though. It is. It's super stressful. Like I said, it's not for everybody. Um, You definitely have to have a certain kind of personality to manage something like that. Because a lot, especially when it comes to something as emotional as wedding planning, um, having to try to convince people of different things. Or there's a saying we have in the industry, champagne tastes on a beer budget. You know, if you've only got $10,000 to spend, but you want a $25,000 wedding, how, you know, and an experienced event planner can actually help you with this. They can make it feel like a $25,000 wedding, but it'll only cost you 10, not just from like the discounts and things they can get through their own vendors, but that $25,000 wedding looks and feels a certain way. And you can have aspects of that in the less expensive event that still feels like the dream come true for the couple. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the same thing would happen for my business events. Like they wanted to spend $20,000 and I'm like, you have five. So what elements of that $20,000 event can we scale down to make it five? You know, maybe, maybe we're not serving craft beer. Maybe we're serving Coors Light. (laughs) I mean, not, that wasn't really a discussion because you have to serve whatever the venue sells, but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 lowering expectations but at the same time trying to uh, hit the vision that someone has okay so what brought you to podcasting like i said so after i got sick and couldn't work that job anymore um i started blogging and i found this community online and that was really fun I, i got tired of blogging but i still had stuff i wanted to say and it was just easier to speak it than write it. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't mean I don't write still. I, I write a lot. I actually script out all of my my solo episodes. Nice. That's great. That's great. I've been thinking I've been thinking about writing scripts for some other content that I do. Mm-hmm. Just to make it flow better. Yeah, I mean it helps. You know, what I'll do is when I have the time and I try to make the time to make this good is I'll have an idea, right? So I'll like bullet point it out. I'll do some outlines and then I'll start writing things out. And then when I have something that feels good, I'll actually record it. And then as I'm talking through what I've written, I'm like, oh, does that sound right? Or if it doesn't sound right, I'm going to tweak it as I'm talking. And then that recording becomes a better version of what I originally thought. 
I was going to say. And sometimes I go in a completely different direction, but it helps because I, I'm a person who needs to talk stuff out as opposed to write stuff out. And so that just, that's just my process. I'm not saying that, that all podcasters should do that, but it yeah. helps me develop a better episode. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. It's like you keep, you, it's just like, um, it's just like getting drafts. It's like you, you thought you wrote it out, then you spoke it, and then it pulled out. Maybe I can say it like this, and then that yeah. helps you write it better for, just to improve on the on the ideas and all that. <clears throat> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how how has it how has podcasting been going for you? I love it. I really do. It's hard work. You know, it's not. It's a hell of a lot easier than having to fly to Chicago five days before your wedding. I'll tell yeah. you that. Do but... you do video? I do. Uh, I'm not very good at video. I haven't actually used any of the video content yet. I just ripped the audio. Mm -hmm. But um, I do have a YouTube channel. And I don't know how much more effort I'm going to put into actually producing videos as opposed to just, you know, continuing with the audio. I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. I, I, um, when I first started, my focus was a little different than it is now, but I feel like I have a stronger product now. I have some really great interviews coming up with people who are who are just talking about the things that I think are important for our people to hear, to mm -hmm. heal, to hear. Oh my gosh, I can't even talk anymore. I should no, not be a podcast right here, now. Right? <laughs> hear and heal. Um, and what I have found is after doing this for like a, just over a year now is that my demographic skews younger than I thought it would. Mm -hmm. So I have people who are in their 20s listening, 20 to uh, 55, when I thought I was going to skew 45 and older. Mm -hmm. But um, so so I'm, I've got listeners who are at the point in their lives where hearing this information might improve their lives more than hearing it 20 years down the road will um and so i'm hoping i'm making a difference for them no word. <clears throat> maybe um maybe i could go over there and we could do a swap basically <laughs> that would be fun oh yeah gotta get more informed on some of the topics you speak about though because um, i always feel like uh as far as those like uh, stigmas that they have like hey you should have kids and all this i feel like you know that's all from like the the old frame of thought that mm -hmm. our parents had and all that. Mm -hmm. Like times have changed and nowadays like they don't understand that they were hurting people mm -hmm. by doing that. Mm -hmm. But uh, we also can't get caught up in the fact that hey, you hurt me type of thing. It's like they, they, they were ignorant in, in a way. Right. So like, but then it's like on us to, to improve and to lead the, the newer generations in the right way and teach them exactly. teach them empathy and, and not be so judgmental because you never know, like I, me myself, like even like little shit, like people would have called you stupid or something back in the day. Like, you never know how that could affect a child personally. Yeah, I mean, my my ideal future is for if you're having kids that they grow up to be happy and healthy and fulfilled individuals mm -hmm. and contributors to society. You know. And what that looks like for each individual is different. And just because I'm not having kids doesn't mean I'm not concerned about the future because there are kids yeah. in this world that matter to me. You know, I have a niece. I have nephews. I have people who will outlive me. And I want the world to be populated by people who are doing good yeah. for them and with them. Mm -hmm. And that starts with, you know, making sure there's money for education. There's after school programs and things like that. And that's where I hope my money is going. Yeah. 
word anyway yeah and i feel like somewhat like maybe even that i don't want to assume but like maybe some of those the, the reason behind like you didn't have kids is like because they you care about kids so much and you don't want to you get it I, I don't i feel like those subjects are sensitive and all that. I don't think they are sensitive. And I, and I, I think that you, I thank you for bringing it up. The reason I didn't have kids is because I didn't want kids, you know, like I don't like Brussels sprouts, so I don't eat Brussels sprouts. I didn't want kids. I I made sure not to have them. It was fine. Um, I'm not the first person in my family not to have kids. Um, my aunt just passed. One of her sons doesn't have kids either. We've never talked about why, but you know, they were there as an example for someone who could live a life that was different than everyone else was doing. And part of, part of, you know, to your point that there could be a stigma, I'm trying to destigmatize it as just being out here and talking about it and saying, you know, this is an option. You don't have to do this thing that the media shows you is like the one true path to happiness because it isn't. There's plenty of people who are miserable doing that. I had a guest on and she's like, I thought I had one at life. I had the husband and the picket fence and the great career and all these beautiful things. And I was miserable. And I thought something was wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with her. That just wasn't what was meant for her. And mm-hmm. there's so many options in this world that we don't even know exist, especially when you're an 18-year-old fish out of water. Go to college because the expectations are so high and you think that if you fail here, you've messed up your entire life when you and I both know that that isn't true. Yeah, it's not. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm just here to like show you you've got options. <laughs> No, yeah, it's it's definitely true, true, and like that's great that you're putting out that message. And and you're also not doing it because there's a lot of people that kind of uh, preach these type of things, but they do it almost in a malicious way. Not even malicious, mm-hmm. kind of like in a snarky way, like oh, I'm better than, and like oh, you got kids, and look at you. Like I, yeah. I believe that even. I saw something about like there's like these Reddit communities like it's like anti breeders or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and and they just make fun of people that have kids and shit. And it's like, I'm like, when I saw that, I was like, that's like very dark. And it's like when you're doing that, it's like, bro, like what are you doing it for? It's a reaction to what the media has pushed down everyone's throats. Mm -hmm. And there are also, not to defend those communities because I don't belong to them and I find them distasteful as well, there's also communities that are dedicated to making fun of people who can't have kids or don't have kids. And the unfortunate part is that a lot of people who don't have kids couldn't. And they get lumped in with the same, you know, being called selfish or whatever. But we don't know anybody else's story. I I tell people I didn't want kids, so I didn't have them. It's as natural to me as having curly hair. But, you know, I've interviewed people who wanted kids and couldn't have them. And they had to make peace and they had to find happiness elsewhere. And that's hard. And even if you don't want kids, you're going to have hardships in your life. And, and you know, you want a community around that. So, you know, these communities exist because sometimes people need to vent. Sometimes people are malicious. But sometimes it's just they want to belong and they don't feel like they belong in the bigger social construct because the bigger social construct is about having kids and the picket fence and the dog and all of these things that don't apply to you. So. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not out here being like, parents suck, having kids sucks. I mean, it looks like it sucks, quite frankly. I look at my brothers having to raise their children. I'm like, that looks really hard. It's hard. Let me know know when you want a day off and I'll go take the kids to the movies. But I don't have to 
I don't, you know, I don't have to raise them every day. It, it looks hard. It's um, hard, but it's also beautiful. Also. And there's that, right? Like one of my brothers is like, one of the best things I did in this world was raise these children. Becoming a father made me a better person. And I believe that's true for him. But if his kids don't want kids, I hope he also understands that that's an option for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe father or becoming a parent for his kids is not going to be fulfilling, is not going to make them a better person. Because the, big, the bigger part of life is also like, it's not, because I feel like they, they, they get stuck up on like, oh, you're not having kids. And they're like, bro, that's not really like, yeah, we're supp- like, we technically like animals or whatever, you're supposed to reproduce to still be here or whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, you're supposed to live your life, bro. Like, why are you stuck up on the fact that I don't have kids? How about, hey, are you happy? Are you, um, yeah, how, how's life going for you? Are you in good health? Like, wh- where are those questions? Like, why, are you, why, why don't you ask me about that? When we stop using the same metric of success for everyone, because success can look different. Like, I don't, I failed out of, well, I didn't fail, but I dropped out of the Ivy League. At the time, that felt like a massive failure. 25 years later, I'm living a different life than the path that I was on then. And if I continued on that path, I might not even be alive. The depression was really bad. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself just because it looks right or it sounds right or it sounds like a great opportunity. Is it the right one for you? That comes with parenthood. That that comes with all of the choices you get to make in life. And, and, you know, having kids is a choice. Yeah. And for some people, it's great. But for some people, it's not the right opportunity. And so why would we want to force that on people just so that we can all say we're on the same team? We are on the same team. We're all human. Yeah. And um, also to add on, um, I feel like also that the reason like some people like go against the people that, oh, we're we're aunts. I want to have kids. I'm like, it's because um a lot of times well as of recent I've seen I've seen like this new popularity of like oh we're gonna get an abortion like popularizing that shit like even in like there's a recent song with uh is Lotto and Cardi B and like one of the lines is uh I'll spend that five hundred before I ever trap you or some shit like that you get it and then like that's but that's like the line you get it that's the line that everybody's gonna be like oh I'll spend that five hundred before I ever trap you and it's like kind of like glamorizing and it's like that's the thing that I don't like, because everybody has the right to do whatever they want, but it's like, bro, don't don't belittle it. Like, it's is like not you're not doing anything like, uh, that's like like that's something and that's a drastic thing that you're doing. Like, I'm not gonna say like I'm above it or anything, because like obviously like, well not obviously, but I've had to do that in the past, but it was never uh, an easy decision or even like, even like miscarriages and all that shit. You get it? <clears throat> that's never it's never easy, bro. And it's like to see that being like popularized and like being um, put out in society, like oh, it's just cool and all like that. I mean, it's it's fine to be able to do it. Like I understand that for it to be a purpose, like oh, I'm I'm able to go over there and do it. Like I'm all for all that, but I'm not for all that other. Oh, like that's the way. Like oh, we're gonna do that because it's also like, bro, you don't have to have kids. It's like why are you thinking about it? It's like it's not that big of a deal. Like you got it in society, I feel like. Yeah, I think that what the the what songs like that provide is a break between the morality that's tied a, a break from the morality that's tied around abortions, because mm-hmm. um, 
you can look at it in one way that it is a simple medical procedure, yes. but you can look at it in another way where it is, you know, it is a, it, for some people, it is a very difficult life altering decision, yeah. but it isn't the same for everybody. However, our media definitely has morality wrapped up around it. And for some people, they would really love for it to be just that so that they can keep, you know, they can make a moral argument about why you should not be allowed to have one. Mm-hmm. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous. So the counterpoint to that is songs like that, which you don't have to agree with. You, you are allowed to have your opinion and you're allowed to feel like, you know what, that's not cool. But at the same time, it is not cool to, to legislate in a way that takes that choice away from people. No, yeah. And I'm never for that either. Right. You no, know? no, no. And I'm not saying yeah. that you're not. But and I'm also, and I'm also we, not like saying like the song is horrible. You gotta like, no, no, no. no. I song. know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, all I'm trying to say is for your audience, maybe if they haven't given this any thought, is that this is the counter argument to the moral arguments mm-hmm. against abortion. Yeah. And maybe that's just something to sit and think about. You, at the end of the day, you do not have to have an abortion if you find that you don't want one. Yeah. I've never had one. Does that make me a better person because I never got pregnant? No. I'm just saying I haven't had one. Yeah. All right. And it is what it is, right? I mean, if I, I never found myself in a situation, luckily, yeah. that 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 I had to make that decision. Would I? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's all circumstantial, too, though. Exactly. Because who knows what frame, what mind frame you would have been at that moment. Like you may have always thought like this, but when it actually presented in front of you, it's like, whoa, hold on now. And but- I think that the more that we consider that it is a medical procedure and sometimes necessary. Yes, that- sometimes, a lot of times necessary because then it's those. Oh, yes. And more are- often than not, mm-hmm. we don't hear, and here's another thing that our media is really great at. We don't hear the stories of all of the complications that pregnancy can cause for a person's body. Oh, yeah. And the ways that it can really mess a person up. And maybe if we had more common or pop culture references that, you know, removed the morality and talked about it as what it actually is versus what we want to conceive it as, then people wouldn't be so scared. People wouldn't be putting themselves in these situations either, you know, yeah. it's something to think about. We're not going to solve it, you and me. No, yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's too, it, that, but it, that's the reason why they, they have chosen to put it out there in the, in the ecosphere as much as they have. It's, it's a polarizing subject and it's so complex. It is like, and it feel, shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be. It should just be, it if should you, be private. It should be private and that's it, bro. Like, if I have to have my appendix taken out, it's not something that everybody needs to know. You know, yeah. if I have to have a tooth removed, like, Nobody's going to think twice if I have a cavity and need to like have a root canal or if the tooth is dead. Like that's no one's business. It's my mm-hmm. mouth, right? Yeah. <laughs> or No, yeah. But so um uh no, I was going to ask another question, but mm-hmm. I was going to if um but I feel like I pretty much got the answer. You never thought of adoption or anything either. Oh, no. Here. I'll I'll say this. I am not a practicing Catholic. But my brother, my older brother, when his son was born, he asked me to be the godmother. So I'm the madrina. My little brother is also the godfather. 
So I have a relationship with my one niece and my three nephews. If anything were to happen, not just because I am my older nephew's godmother, if anything were to happen to their parents, and now they're adults, like the older two are adults. They, mm-hmm. they won't need someone to help raise them. But if something were to happen to the younger one's parents, I would step in as needed. Yeah. Um, because those children matter to me. I don't want to be a parent. So yeah. adoption is not is not for me. Again, I don't want Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. And I know I keep, <laughs> that might piss people off that I keep referring, you know, I keep making parallels between children and Brussels sprouts. But at the end of the day, it's, that's it's just what a that choice. is. It's just a that's choice. what that is. Mm-hmm. Adoption is also for a special type of person. Mm-hmm. All parents, not all parents can be, a, can adopt children mm-hmm. because that's not something that is for them. Just because a person wants to have children doesn't mean that they would make a good adoptive parent yeah. either. And I think there's that plenty of foster horror stories. There are so many. And I, I have friends who actually did not have children of their own and did adopt and it worked out beautifully. And that's a success story. Nice. Um, but I am not a person in a situation that can adopt. Have you had any of um, them on your podcast? I haven't. Maybe I should. That's another Thank angle you. to a similar to a similar is. topic. It is. It is. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. But so anything else that you want to plug? Any other stories you want to get? <laughs> no, but I do thank you, Sunny, for having me on. This was, a, this was a fun time. Yeah, it was a great conversation. I would love to be on your podcast also. I need to do more research on the topics you guys speak <laughs> about. Though. I mean, um, I'm pretty familiar with it because, I mean, I have a kid and then I understand yeah. And then, like, also, we, we didn't get really too much into the Latin stuff, but maybe I'll do some more research, get you back on again. Yeah, I'd uh, love it. Yeah, because we could definitely dive into all of that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I know growing up, that shit gets, that sh- especially growing up as a kid, it, it gets tech- it gets rough because it's like you, from your family, they're pushing, hey, this whole Latin culture shit. And then it's like, wait, hold on, I can't be closed off to the world. I have to be, like. I'm, I grow up with other people. I meet other people. You get it? It was like, mm-hmm. that's not, everybody's just a person. Everybody's human. Everybody's just like. There is a way to celebrate our culture and live in the world. Unfortunately, there's a lot of gatekeepers that want to tell you how to do that mm. the right way. And like you were saying, we're all individuals. Oh, I just thought about it. Over the NLA, it is really pretty big like that too. Because I know at least in, like, in the gang scene. Is like you can't chill with like blacks and shit like that. Yeah, I was never in a gang, so well, I know you. I, know. I don't have the. I, I don't no, have I, those problems. <laughs> no, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right, but I mean, like, gangs exist. Gangs no, I'm exist just. To, I'm just. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's just an example of like a uh, another racially um, divisive yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. Where, but there's also you know like Bloods versus Crips. That's like predominantly black gangs Mm -hmm. where there's just there's divisions there. And it's like, you know, I I, I could I could go deep on this topic, but I think we're running out of time. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, basically, because it's not even to say like the that the the Mexican gangs are like against black gangs. It's just like they don't cohabitate with them because they still beef with other Hispanics Mm -hmm. or whatever you get it. But yeah, but just like that, um, let them know where they can find you again. I'm Pauletta Rado at Pauletta Rado on almost all social media except on YouTube where you can find me by the name of the podcast which is La Vida Mas Chevere 
And I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes, Sonny, so that people know how to spell it. Yes, definitely will. <laughs> well, all right, just like that. It's been a great talk talking to you again. And um, just like that, guys, it's been a great episode. And see you next time. Peace.